Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a chief evangelist? That's what we're exploring at chiefevangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the founder and CEO of Chief Evangelist Consulting. She's got a background in customer success, client retention, and member advocacy. She's got a passion and expertise in community building, and she's on a mission to help organizations win through evangelist-led growth. Leslie Greenwood, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Uh, thank you. Well, wow. I'm going to steal that when this recording comes out, and I'm going to write that down and somehow use it in a bio somewhere. Thank you so much. I'm sure. so happy to be here. Yeah, this <laughs> conversation's overdue. I really love what you're up to. We've been connected for a while now. We've actually met in person, which I can't say about um, all of the folks I've host, had the privilege of hosting on the show. But um, I, I love what you're doing with community evangelism, evangelist-led. I think we're going to get into all of these terms, I think, to someone outside the bounds of what we're doing. A, I'm not quite sure why they're listening to the show, but I appreciate it. it. It might sound a little bit like jargon, but it's all, um, I just love the intersection of the work that you do. Um, and it's super valid that, I mean, I didn't mention the, the, uh, people powered podcast that you're getting going and just this, this theme of winning through other people and relationships with other people. I just love, so I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to start with my standard opener, which is, all right, what is the most important job of an, of an evangelist? I think the most important job of an evangelist is to be a true champion of their, whoever they're evangelizing for. And I think to clarify what a true champion means is for me, it's authentic. It's, um, you know, heartfelt. You truly believe in the product or service. Um, that's where I get into like this debate, internal debate with myself between evangelist and influencer. And so like for me, an evangelist is like, I love the product and I just want to go shout it from the rooftops because of this connection or passion I have about the product. Really good. We, we will get into influencer, creator, ambassador. There are like different words around this. I think we agree on that topic and we'll get to that. But I think one of the unique things about your, your approach to it um, is the idea that it's not just, I mean, most of the folks I'm speaking with on this show are um, employee evangelists, like they are internal to the organization, they've been recruited or assigned to the role, and they're off doing these things, and it looks a lot of different ways. And I think you have a lot to say about that, too. And certainly your expertise in community building is a skill and a practice that many evangelists are undertaking or, or are already successful with. But you also have a lens toward, I think, um, customer evangelist. So just talk about who is an evangelist. In, I, I think your definition is wide enough that it includes those people and perhaps more, but talk about that. Like, yeah. like I am a chief evangelist, but there are also, I know we have customer evangelists or else our mm -hmm. lead flow wouldn't be what it is. Um, 100%. so just talk about that. Talk about the, the, the different ways that that, uh, term can be applied and maybe who wears it and who doesn't and these types of things. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I mean, yes, there's this, I mean, I think when I first started thinking about like, how did I want to go 
into business? What, how did I want to go to market? What did I want to talk about? And that's how you and I actually got connected for like our first kind of like deep, oh my gosh, we're going to be friends kind of conversation. Um, and, you know, my theory is more of anybody can be an evangelist. You know, if you're talking about your community or your customers, you know, those are the people that I like to focus on. Um, most companies can't afford an Ethan Butte that just goes out and talks great things about their, about their product. Now, at least maybe the most companies that I work with, which are earlier stage startups, they definitely can't do it. That's hopefully their founder. Um, but it's, it's taking your average customer, you know, John, Jane, Sally, whoever, and giving them an experience that is so amazing and beyond what their expectations, whether it's an experience you know, in the community and experience with your customer success and experience with your product that over delivers in a way that they want to go out on their own and say, I love XYZ product. So for me right now, my current, I know you're going to ask me this later, but this is just a side note. Like my current thing is like, I love Grove Cookie Company. Uh, they've given me an amazing service. I am able to use it for gifting as a small business. It's personal. The founders talk to me and it's just like, it fits a need and it makes me feel a certain way, in which case I want to go talk about them. And so, you know, think about the power of that. They create a hundred of me who will go out and do their bidding. Basically, I'm going to go market them. I posted them on LinkedIn. I'm going to talk about them. They don't need to spend as much money on marketing. And so for me, that's the thing. I mean, it's good for the company, but think about the value for that customer who, you know, really comes out feeling a different way than what a normal customer feels like in doing business with the company. Very good. It, um, first of all, I'm not as expensive as someone might think. Um, <laughs> just tying back there. And then I, what you also made me think about is just the way that um, like when you get that, I have mixed feelings about the term, but when you get that flywheel going, I'm mm -hmm. thinking about you as a small business owner sending these gifts to other people and the way that it's received. And now in my head, I'm in like Apple packaging and kind of the, you know, the worship of that experience. But like th there's a way to package and deliver that such that the recipient doesn't just feel amazing about Leslie, the person kind enough to do this for them, but mm -hmm. also about like, this is a different cookie experience that I've ever had. And like, it, it just kind of gets going that way. So it's not just, so, so what I heard there as the main theme was customer experience. Like, what is it like to be in relationship with this company all in? Um, and that does include price and value, but it also includes a lot of these other um, less obvious or less tangible or even less measurable things. How do we, um, how do we, what are some of the extra touches that we can do to equip you? Now I'm staying in this cookie zone. Right, right, right. Leslie, as a direct customer and or the other people affected by the product or service delivery, it's not just, or is it just doing everything at a level that anticipates people's needs and exceeds them? It goes, it goes beyond that. And I'm going to go back to one other um, thing that you mentioned. And I, I think for me, it starts with a point of view. And I think all companies should have this, a point mm -hmm. of view, how they're going to treat their customers or the experience the customer will have from the moment they first interact. Maybe that's the website, et cetera. But I'm, I think more for me, I'm thinking about like the first time they talk to a human in the company, like having that as an anchor. Um, as we all know, times get great times. And then so then you have so many customers you're like, oh, I don't need to 
give them this level of service anymore because I have so many customers or, oh, times are bad. Oh my God, we got to scale back. That point of view is an anchor that you will stay true to kind of like a, a mission of your company that you'll stay true to through time. So it's like if companies start with that, you know, kind of anchor, that point of view, and they deliver it through the entire service or, you know, experience, et cetera, that's where like this all kind of gets started. So like for me, that's the foundation. And that's a conversation I have with like every company that I work with. So um, is it just the extra touches? I mean, there is, there's, there's just, there's big ways and there's little ways. One is you want to have a product, obviously that over delivers on what, you know, what you've, you've promised. Um, I am a huge advocate of customer experience. So for example, you know, like everybody that goes on my podcast, they get an, you know, they get a cookie delivery from me as just a thank you for giving me their time. That's not normal. That's something extra that, you know, that, oh, that was a different experience than something else. Um, you know, so it can be small ways like that. It can be also ways that even how you interact with the customer, like, are you just answering the question or are you answering the question, thinking about why they ask the question, say, Hey, you know, since you asked this, you may, are you thinking about why too? And I'm not even thinking from a sales perspective, because of course there is a great application for upsell, cross-sell and that I'm talking about just like the care and the customer service that you give people along the way as well. Very good. And I uh, hate to use the pun, but I'm going to do it. Like what I hear there is that it's ethos articulated as a point of view or a mission or something is just baked into the operation in, in, a, mm -hmm. in a real way and in a way that's felt. And I especially appreciate what you shared there toward the end about the way that we're engaging with customers. Um, it speaks to something that I speak to all the time, which is the idea that at our at our root, all we are really looking for is to feel seen and heard, appreciated and understood and valued as an individual human being on a planet of billions of them. And that experience is becoming so rare that when we can deliver it, even in a commercial relationship, it stands out immediately. It's something that can't be faked and is something that is felt and resonant in a very positive way. And that is the root of customer experience. We're definitely kidding on that. Okay, so I'm when, when we connected in advance of this recorded conversation, I was taking notes just so I could revisit them in anticipation of our conversation here. And I typed up something that I'm going to say was a quote of yours. Um, so I hope that it's something that sounds familiar to you. <laughs> but what I typed was um, the evangelist as the atomic unit of product-led growth and community-led growth. Um, speak to that a little bit where, where we're moving here is into the zone of, um, modes of growth, product led growth, community led growth, evangelist, evangelist led growth. And the idea of the evangelist is obviously being like a fundamental unit that makes all of it work, that it's all mm -hmm. built from speak to mm -hmm. that idea, however you like, and maybe speak to those modes of growth for people who aren't as attuned to them as you and I are. Yeah. 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 So, I mean. I think that is is so funny. I forget who put out a poll or a question on LinkedIn is like, what's the most exciting new, you know, growth motion? And one of the options was customer led growth. And I just like shook my head. I'm like, why is that an option? Like, isn't that assumed that we are going to be doing that? I mean, I just I was my mind was blown. Um, and that's where kind of like this theory of evangelist led growth, like when you think about how like even the first startups you know, your first customers, all the early stage startups, they grew from these people that were so passionate about the product that they told others about it. Like your first early adopters, 
are your, you know, first evangelists if you take the time to have that point of view on them. So like you think of product-led growth, you know, free trial, move to something else. Your those people who are so excited about your product that tell other people is how that kind of whole, like you said, flywheel, I think it's such a buzzy word, but like that's how that flywheel works. Uh, Community-led growth, you know, giving people, i.e., well, customers, members, I just like you said, people, those individual units of humans that want to feel connected, the ability to you know, have that experience and go out and talk about you. Like nothing for me, nothing happens without the customer. A customer is, or customer member, and the better you get at building them into evangelists, people that will go out and sing your praises, the easier your growth will be in almost every case. Like I can't think of a case that where if you have people that are going out on LinkedIn and talking about you of their own volition or telling their friends, that that's not an absolute benefit. And that should be something that we're thinking about, in my opinion, from day one. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I completely agree. I think about, um, first of all, I want to acknowledge, like, isn't that what we're supposed to, to me, like the logical conclusion of that thought line is growth led growth. You know, <laughs> at first I thought it was revenue led growth, but that I think it's, it's even more sassy to call it growth led growth. But, um, yes, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I think about like the product led motion. Um, especially like a freemium type model where we can't afford to talk to you on the phone and, you know, all these other limitations. And so now the customer is left if they want to get like real answers or real insights or like next level use cases. Yeah, you might be publishing some material, but are they really going to go fishing in the support site or these types of things? But like this idea that someone is coming into this freemium experience with someone who said, you got to check this out. This is what I'm doing with it. This is how I found it. Um, here are the two key things that I worried about in the beginning, but I've since figured them out. Go check it out. Someone touches it. They come up with their own questions, bring it back to that person, and they're off and running again uh, on their own. Repeat, 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 repeat as that person comes to, to see it, experience it, love it, get the value that the first person did. Um, I also think, too, about we have a two-week free trial at BombBomb, not like a full-on freemium product. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it's been a, a decision we've talked about off and on a number of times. but. I know that if someone gets onto a webinar or a session or a one-on-one call with me, or I'm thinking of another team member, Alicia, who is very, she's been here for, I think, eight years or something, um, has served in a number of roles, sales, service, speaking, et cetera. Like if you have that experience with another person, in this case, internal evangelists, um, one of us by title, one of us not that trial experience is going to be better. You came to it in a different way. You were so much more likely to convert. You're going to engage with it in a much different level. And so this this idea of people-to-people transmission that isn't reading a support article, that isn't reading a blog post, that isn't even watching like a, I'm thinking of like kind of the animated explainer Mm -hmm. video type things where Mm -hmm. it's like stick figures and things happening and bouncing along and all of this. Um, there's something about that human to human experience that's really unique. And I feel like just the way you titled your podcast, you're attuned to it too. So maybe speak a little bit to this idea of um a human to human moment, whether it's you know, peer to peer, customer to customer, or whether it's internal to customer, 
Talk about the unique power or value, or even in community, peer-to-peer to peer-to-peer to peer to company. Mm-hmm. So um, in this increasingly digital environment where attention is harder to get, trust is harder to build, um, speak to the power of the hum- these human-to-human experiences. Um, and then maybe I'll get into your expertise and uh, perhaps how we can facilitate them more often or more effectively. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was, I'm glad you said community because that's exactly where I are in your example. Community. I mean, because obviously not everyone on a free trial is going to have a call with you or Alicia or me or somebody else. Um, but bringing a community into that aspect and then they, those people are interacting with already your your raving fans, your evangelists. They're getting their questions answered. They are feeling they make a connection with another you know, member of your community. There's your scalable way to just take that whole thing and blow it up. I mean, you, then you have your your community members, converting your members, being your support desk and everything. And it doesn't have to be some type of, you know, fantabulous support led, you know, community. There's so many ways to like put that in place. So I guess going back, that's one of the answers to your questions. Now, Ethan, as we talked before, you're going to have to ask me that question again. Okay. The the human, like to speak to like just the power of human to human versus all of the other kind of, um, even if it's digitally mediated over a, a video call or there actually we can get into the different places that community can happen, but just the power of human to human in 2023 and beyond. I think, I think that's huge. And um, you mentioned the podcast. So uh, on that, on my podcast, I'm interviewing go-to-market leaders about their superpower and how that interacts with how they think about build community. It's very interesting. Of course, there's a common theme, but they're all very different. But it is about, there's a lot of the conversation so far that we're talking about authenticity, vulnerability, the ability to connect people or to connect with people. And those people that are so um, like really good at their jobs. I mean, these are amazing go-to-market leaders. And when I ask their superpower, well, some of them try to tell me it's B2B marketing. And I'm like, that's not a superpower. Um, you can try again. Um, but when they really think about it, it's it's really, it's coming down to those things that you just talked about. So, you know, whether it is, you know, even, you know, obviously you have to have one-to-many processes, but how is your one-to-many written? You know, is it written in a corporate tone? You know, like I'm marketing to you or is it written in a way that still honors your brand voice, but feels personal, you know, like how many replies are you getting to these messages? If you're not getting replies, then you're probably not having the kind of people focus that you're looking to get. So I think there's just tons of different ways that you can look at that. But I mean, the hand-to-hand combat part of it, you know, especially if you're, I mean, if you're a seller, how do you, how do you connect with people, you know, authentically? Um, If you are the brand, like, how far away is your C-suite from the customer? When's the last time did they talk to a customer so that they're understanding the true pain points, um, you know, that the customer has and they're addressing it and really feeling, you know, connected to what their customer's problems are. Very good. I love that, um, the theme. And I was hoping, I, I, I felt like that's where it was going as you started talking about the superpower question, this idea that it the, the answers wind up being very human to human. I appreciate your pushback too on the idea of B2B marketing as a superpower, um, not being a superpower at all. It's just like- it's a skill. It's a yeah. skill. That's yeah. a skill. And you're able to do the skill because of a superpower 
that you have built and honed over time, possibly from your childhood. Yeah. Wow. So good. Talk about community. So, so I just want to recap. So like, like evangelists can be inside or outside the company. There are people who are passionate. They sell you, even though there's no perhaps financial motivation in most cases, I found like we've, we've had an affiliate program here. Mm -hmm. Our best evangelists are people that don't want transactionally 10 or 15 or 20% of the cut. Like they just do it because they want to, like, that's the evangelist. There's no, it's not even a commercial relationship. And so um, these people are passionate. They help other people proactively. They engage with one another. They'll raise their hand to participate in a community that's either um, a formal one or an informal one. Now we're moving toward a formal community effort um, and, and leveraging your experience and expertise in that to kind of provide some advice for folks. Um, but I would assume that that in a in a good, again, informal community that isn't structured, there's just like there was a community around Bomb Bomb before we ever brought anyone together into the same place, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it was happening kind of organically. And then when you harness it, it becomes even better. Um by by putting some some structure around it that even more people can engage in. But um, people are the key. People to people is key. Um, this is how we grow in a very efficient manner. Uh, so now I'm at the doorstep of community and community-led growth. Break it down. What are the myths and misconceptions? Because certainly like all the other LEDs, it's been abused. And I think you probably have enough of a sensitivity and like natural defensiveness toward it, the, the real spirit of what it is that I would love for you to articulate that. Um, talk about what, what is community? What isn't community? And then maybe um, after we get through that, we can talk about some different ways that it can look for the people that are like, well, I just, I don't need another Slack channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to someone the other day and I honestly, I forget who it was. And and I do think, I will just go out there that community can be whatever you make it. Like in your personal life, it's whatever you make it. It's your family, your friends, the people you go to coffee with, your, you know, the, the formal communities that you're in. It's somewhere that you interact with others and you get value and give value. From a business perspective, um, I think for me, the delineation is like community and audience. You know, audience is who you're talking to. I'm sure, I mean, you're a marketer. I, I'm not even going to tell this in marketing words. I'm going to tell you in Leslie words on how I understand it. Because don't y'all don't judge me on my marketing expertise. Um, you know, audience are the people that you talk to. Um, they may talk back, you know, on a LinkedIn comment or a post or attending a group. But a community is like an intentional gathering of people that are there to both give and receive value. Dep and notwithstanding to what the commercial outcome is. Um, obviously for companies, there always is a commercial outcome. And we talk about that when I'm working with companies, there will always be a business outcome that we're going to align to. But the underlying principle is that, you know, you're, you're gathering people, you're going to agree to give them va continued value over time. Think of it like a brand play. And eventually one day you will get the commercial success. So for me, it's, it's like an owned versus rented. So like a rented community, which really is an audience in my opinion is LinkedIn An owned community can be hosted on anything. It could be hosted on Slack or a numerous other, um, you know, platforms, just whatever works for your, your people. So what are, I think a lot of us have maybe some vague associations like, Oh, I guess I, that is a community that I'm in. 
uh, as you're describing it, but just walk it out a little bit. Like when you're, let, let's just pretend you're engaging with a new client and uh, you, you know, a lot of the fundamental boxes are checked and now you're getting into tactically, what might this look like? What are mm-hmm. some of the channels or experiences or places where we could organize and gather people um, and then I maybe want to double back into into this idea of giving value because I think a lot of companies gather people from a very selfish perspective, and I think that is kind of like a uh, serving a rotten apple or something. Um, mm-hmm. But but start with like the like the channels, the venues, the places. Like where can someone listening who's in a company uh, who has the opportunity to kind of lead some of this, whether they're in an evangelist position or not? Um, what are some of the different ways we can gather people? Mm-hmm. Well, you've, you've probably already gathered. I mean, you've started to gather them. You have a newsletter. You have a following. So it's like it, it is very helpful if you already have an audience. Like creating a community without an audience is uh, obviously very difficult. But you have the audience. So then, you know, then decide where is this gathering place. That recommendation is different for every, different for every company because you really have to think about where your people already live. So in the world that I live in, in the world, you kind of rotate around B2B tech SaaS. If they're selling to other, you know, tech companies or tech-enabled companies, they're probably on Slack. And so the idea, yes, I have 12 Slacks on the side of my desk. I will say some of them I participate in as a community member. Some of them I'm in there just as a learner. And some of them I probably just don't log in and I'm not going to consider them a community that I'm part of right now. Um, so it really depends on where. So if you had told me like, okay, we're going to move all of your, you know, two of your main um, communities off of Slack and into XYZ platform. Now I have to have, it's like internal change management. I have to go find the login, remember the login, try to, you know, learn how to use the software where if your entire customer base is already using Slack in their day-to-day lives. Like that would be probably the place I would recommend that you go. Um, and then we just find some really creative ways to make that scalable price-wise and get you the analytics that you need and, and things like that. Um, you know, if they're not already on Slack, you know, there are plenty of different platforms, some that range at $100, you know, a month that are more, you know, affordable for like a creator or a earlier stage startup. And there are ones that are you know, twenty-five to fifty thousand um, dollars a year, and it really just depends on where you are, what the purpose of the community is. And um, I'd say most of the customers that I work with, we're starting small. Like we're starting with this initial gathering of their original evangelists, the original consumers that like took that leap with them to like, okay, I'm gonna try your product that may or may not work right now, but I see the, you know, <laughs> I see that there's promise, like. Those are the first people we get, start with gathering those and then we can totally build from there and create you this amazing thing in time. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect, Engage, Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelists, let's get back to it. Awesome. Uh, For someone who feels like there are evangelists in their customer base, but they don't know who they are, how would you advise people to go fishing? Yes. Um, Okay, so if they don't have a community already, 
Um, if you have a community, you're going to look at your login data. You're going to know who your loud evangelists are, because, but just you know, there's this, I think it's called the 99-1 rule. 90% don't participate, 9 participate some, and 1% are the ones that you're seeing every day. So you've got 99 more percent of people that might be doing things that you're not seeing. So it's like looking who's logging in, but maybe not the loudest voice in the room. If you don't have a community already, so I would look at your um, NPS data, um, not just the numbers, but like who's writing comments. Like I want the comments, please. If you all are doing NPS, please ask, not just like why, ask, please ask another question. Um, those are the people that you can go and start to find those evangelists. One, I took the time to hit the button, number one. And two, I actually took the time to write. And in today's world, that's a huge thing. And if we're not paying attention to that, that is a big red flag to me. Um, you could find it in your CSAT data. So if you have a big customer support team and you, people are just constantly giving you positive reviews, if you have um, usage data like Pendo data, you know, who are the people that are logging in, you know, every day in using your product compared to the other nine people on their team who have seats that are not logging in? Um, and then how do we find those people and create an external evangelist within their company to get them to get more people to use the seats? So those are a couple of the ways I would say to find them. They're all there and they're in sight somewhere if you look in the right places. Super practical. I love it. And um, the way that I've engaged with some of that stuff myself is I'll just send personal videos to people and mm -hmm. see if they want to talk to me, you know, even but just to, just to gather stories, examples, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of things you can do here in, in addition to inviting people into, into a community. Uh, I think uh, we both have a sensibility around in person. I know that it's harder to do. We can't do it as often, depending on how geographically spread your team is. It's a thing. But um, that last pass was so insanely practical that I would love for you to do so is similar to the degree that you can um, on in-person events. Um, I think those can look a lot of different ways. I think immediately some people think that sounds really expensive. I don't know how we need sponsors. We don't like, we don't want sponsors, like all these other things. Like I think mm -hmm. people hold themselves up uh, with all of the roadblocks that are obvious. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cause I, I think you, and I think you agree that that's, that's the single most powerful, like to take a digital community and create, mm -hmm. even if it's annual in in-person thing, I think mm -hmm. that just supercharges the whole thing. Yep. Yep. Um, actually, I think it's Duolingo, which is uh, cited in many different community books about how they have all these volunteer ambassadors that host local meetups, um, you know, all around the world all the time. Um, so I don't think they have to be fancy. I mean, even when I was at Pavilion and we were paying for fancy dinners, I, I wasn't there for the fancy dinner. I don't, if we get together, I don't care if you buy me coffee, I can afford my own coffee. It's the quality of the conversation that we're having and that in-person bond that we're going to make. Like I have so many, like the people that I meet in person, it's like, I remember, you know, I remember the details, you know, about you. I remember that you and um, Jesse Gomez and I were all sitting at lunch in Indianapolis together. So like, I remember the people who were around me and it just brings those connections closer. So it's like, almost like, you know, when people start thinking of the challenges they're going to have before like the idea is even baked. So it's like, you don't need, that's not even a question you need to ask because we're not even there yet. Um, you know, start with places. Where's your headquarters? You know, could you invite customers to your office and serve 
some appetizers from Costco, you know, and some bottled water. It does not have to be fancy. It is about, again, going back to what you said, delivering value. Don't just ask me for, you know, come over for a happy hour. I need you to, because, you know, we're happy houred out, I think, a little bit. Um, and then also we are, um, it's harder to extract value from a happy hour. Like I prefer something that, you know, we have a, a, maybe not a structured conversation, but a little bit more of a facilitated conversation, making sure everybody gets value out of it. So like, instead of thinking about like, how am I going to afford this? What kind of food am I going to buy? What if too many people show up? What if not enough people show up? Focus on like, what is the value you're going to deliver in that, um, in that session? And I think the rest will take care of it. Like no one cares if you give them a hot or cold or semi-warm appetizer in these meetings. Yeah. So good. Um, that dinner that we had in Indianapolis with a wonderful group of people is a great example of it. It was a facilitated conversation. There were like maybe one or two passes around the table where we all heard from everyone and all the attention was directed at this person's thoughts or stories or experiences. Um, and then it, and then it broke into like these three people here, those people across from each other, like, and it breaks down like a, like a normal conversation does, but this, um, at the risk of, of going into too many of my curiosities while I have you, uh, before we get into evangelist versus influencer, perhaps versus creator, perhaps <laughs> versus ambassador. Um, I think a lot of companies, um, think about this and they think of community like audience they think that inherently bigger is always better. Um, the way that we're going to measure success because it's difficult to attribute this person talked to that person. It wasn't recorded. It wasn't published. It was just two people talking. And now we have this really nice five-figure deal as a consequence. We might not even know that. So it's hard to attribute a lot of this stuff. And so I think short of that, we wind up going to the easy, lazy, stupid stuff of, how many, how many, how many, how many, mm -hmm. rather than how good, how good, how good, how good. Speak a little bit to, and I'm I'm kind of drawing back into this audience versus community scenario, but like, and I'm also influenced by this idea that, yes, we had a great bigger event that day, uh, but we also had a different and equally wonderful, not better or worse, but like an equally wonderful experience as a subset of that bigger group of people. And so it's this idea that bigger isn't always better. Um, just speak to anything that that my rambling monologue triggered for you in terms of like, what does success look like? It's not just quantity, it's quality. Like, how do you, how would you advise people that are um, thinking about it perhaps? Because I'm sure you've been in this conversation. Well, how are we going to know we're successful? But, but what if we, there aren't enough people in this group yet or these, these kinds of things? Like speak to that quality quantity divide a little bit. Well, it's interesting that you asked me this question because it, this kind of goes a little bit back to community, but I think it goes into this conversation as well. So I did a poll last week on the types of communities people wanted to join. It was overwhelmingly small niche communities. Now I have another poll going on to see what people actually, how they define it, because I think that's a very, you know, kind of like, I don't know, very large term that could include a lot of different things. But I think the same thing goes for um, events. Now it could be quantity, um, you know, especially if you're putting on a larger event, you have sponsors, you need to show value to them, et cetera. But then within that, how do you create these subgroups of people to have that more intimate experience. 
Um, you know, I think always with community and evangelism, because I know you've had a lot of the same conversations that I've had with people going into evangelism or thinking about that. That's now their title is like attribution. Um, and, and there's actually, I think, uh, from a data from CMX says that only about 10% of all community managers can like accurately, you know, give you this information. So it's not just like one person can't figure it out. It is a, a larger um, issue because it touches so many different things. Um, but I would definitely say that it's a, uh, it's that going back to the value. Yeah, totally fair. And it is interesting just that, that you brought up that data piece. I mean, typically um, you have, you know, product and product usage data, which you referred to, but that even has some variations in it itself. You need to intersect that with revenue data and try to figure things out there. And then now you have this pool of community data, who's engaging, how often, um, these types of things and intersecting that in, in a meaningful way, just adds another layer of complexity to a spot where, um, there's already plenty of challenge, uh, but it's perfectly fair. So, um, would you advise, so I'm just going to draw a parallel to some of the, the conversations I've had with people who are, you know, heads of evangelism or chief evangelists. Mm-hmm. I think a theme that I'm hearing a lot is there's just a lot of trust and a great relationship with the CEO or other executive or leader who said, let's do this. This is a thing, no matter how that came about, whether it was their idea and they found someone or identified or tapped someone or recruited someone in, or whether it was someone who emerged that way and sold it up um, to an executive. There's just a level of trust that buys um, patience and grace and understanding around um, the lack of attribution. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing the same for the other 90%? Is it it generally um, an acceptable leap of faith with a VP marketing or a CMO or somebody else, depending on where the community lands, it could maybe be in a chief customer officer's purview. Um, is it is it a leap of faith the same way mm-hmm. that it often is between a, a, an evangelist and uh, that person's leader or executive? I, you know, I think at first it definitely is a leap of faith because one of the things, you know, community takes a while to develop. It takes a while to build. And then it takes a while to actually see the, um, you know, the tangible outcomes. You know, uh, I think like 12 to 18 months for us to be able to, you know, start saying, okay, this was a community qualified lead. This has influenced pipeline. And I just tell people there's nothing you're going to put on a board slide for like 18 months. Um, You know, so yeah, there's that leap of faith. I think the great thing about today in community is that there's so much talk about it, especially in the B2B space. Um, you know, there are good case studies of, you know, I, I think for sure Salesforce, you know, like because of people in the community, they have a higher ACV by X percent. They retain at a higher, you know, um, higher percentage. So like there are plenty of studies out there of people who have attributed that. Now it's just how do, you know, the people that aren't Salesforce or Gong, you know, get access to that data harness the data in a meaningful way, especially when um, resources are strapped and you've got, you know, your sales team needs something and then the community needs something. I'm feeling like the community is not going to get first dibs on the RevOps person. Um, But one of the things that you triggered earlier is thinking about like ways that you can start to see. So the things that I ask customers to start, um, uh, what do you call it? Start benchmarking if they're not already is one referral data. Um, it's interesting. Many don't have it or they have it informally. And so like going through one, um, customer I worked with, like we went through their referral data and found out that almost, was it 40% of their community had come from referrals. There was no referral program. They just listed the person. 
And then you take that, um, like each person that's referred in is four times more likely to refer someone as well. And so that's, that's huge. So benchmark that. Where are you at now? If you don't have one, let's at least add a field on your, your customer form. How did you find out about us? Open-ended. So maybe they'll name, you know, Ethan Butte is how I found out about you. Um, and the other thing is social mentions. So, you know, are, how often are people mentioning you? Um, where I'm at right at this, at this part with um, Porch, a community that I've helped build in Canada for immigrant entrepreneurs. And um, obviously it was a brand new community, brand new company, brand new community. And I'm like, Neil, are you, you need to start like month, at least monthly. How many social mentions are you getting so that we can track that over time? Because that's huge. I mean, that is an indicator of evangelist led growth. Um, or just, you know, growth in general. And so there are those two little, since you wanted tactical things, two things that I would look at after you employ some of these tactics and as you build a community before you can get, you know, hard, I influence eight million billion dollars in pipeline, um, they can start giving you like those pieces that you're moving in the right direction. Really good. Uh, that example you just shared, which is wonderful. I just think about how much an immigrant entrepreneur might really want to connect with someone else who shares those two characteristics. Mm -hmm. And it, what it makes me think about is uh, I think another trap, I'm purely speculating, but I think another trap a lot of people that you may be in conversation with um, want to jump into is this idea that it needs to directly be a customer community per se, and that the shared belief or the thing that we're connecting around or that the value has to very explicitly and specifically be about your product in a really direct manner. But that obviously isn't the case. And so just share a couple thoughts on that because I think it's, I think it's actually a much bigger community, a much bigger tent, a much bigger opportunity where you could even draw your competitors, customers in if the theme transcends some immediacy around your company brand product service. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just be very blunt and say there is almost no product or company out there that is going to create a sustainable community just based on, you know, like I sell widgets and my company name is X. Like, I'm sorry, no one cares. Maybe that's some people care. Sorry, people, some people care. But, um, you know, it has to be like, how do the widgets that I sell make your life easier? What if I'm buying this widget? What, other, what challenge do I have inherently by being the user of this widget? Who are the other people that have those challenges? How can I connect those people to make you know, their lives easier or their business run better? And then I'm connecting to those points. And then the company is a facilitator. So the company then is, earns trust. It earns brand reputation. That's where referrals come in, things like that. And so um, I made a post about this yesterday, but it's about mission, vision, values. We always start with that. Like, and you know, some of the companies are younger; they don't have those fully defined. Um, but if they do have them fully defined, how do we take those and move those down um, into the community, so that even if you're not a customer and you join the community, you understand what it would be like to do? Because like you're gonna like think that this experience in the community, ooh, this would be like what it would be like if I was in a customer. And so we want to make sure that those are tightly woven and it is something larger than just, um, you know, the product. I mean, it goes back to that people thing. You know, we all want to be, you know, 
accepted. We want connection and everything. And whether we're connecting over a widget or we're connecting over our trials and tribulations of being, you know, entrepreneurs, it's a, it's the same thing. Yeah, totally agree. In the sense of belonging, I don't think we've used that word explicitly, but it's been immediately adjacent to lots of words you and I both have used in this conversation. I would just observe um, as we as we get toward uh, wrapping up, um, and I have another fun question where you can double down on Grove or offer something new. Okay. Uh, you, you can do whatever you want with it. But I would just observe for, for you, Leslie, and for, for everyone listening that I feel pretty compelled that a sense of belonging is something where the demand will stay steady relative to the population size. It is not going to go away. It is a deep human need and desire. I think the supply um, is scattered and probably diminishing in general as we move into noisy and polluted digital environments, as more of our work and our lives become this way. And if we can create that in a way that transcends our product or service, we're creating legitimate, real, tangible value in the world at large that's immediately adjacent to our business. And to the degree that that feels like a leap of faith to somebody, it's still worth making because people need to belong. Uh, and I think uh, our employees want that, our team members want that, our, our, our broader network wants that, and certainly our customers, our prospects, and other people who care about the things that we care about and share our point of view about the world. Every single person that fits those criteria want it mm -hmm. too. And I think um, community is a great way to do that. And um, it's a great way to light up more evangelists and to leverage the evangelists that you've already built. Um, Can I add you something there? Yes, please. It also transcends economic headwinds. Mm -hmm. And that's it is, why- It's the irrational buying forces. We have this conversation all the time. Like it's just like economic headwinds, economic headwinds. And I was like, we did the same thing that, every one of our customers did. We went line by line through the business. Some of it was software. There are all kinds of other costs depending on the nature of the business. But we look at all of our subscriptions. There are subscriptions we cut. There are subscriptions we just cut back. And there are subscriptions that remain intact. Mm -hmm. And some degree of that is well beyond ROI. We spent 30 grand on this, but gosh, the value is 68 grand, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not that, it, it's this irrational buying force. And so the mm -hmm. sense of belonging and and uh, shared belief absolutely transcends headwinds. It's great. Okay, uh, Leslie, what is something that you find yourself evangelizing in your own life or perhaps have been accused by someone close to you of evangelizing? I'm an evangelist of people. So there are certain, I mean, not, and, and this changes, you know, depends on what's going on, but there are certain people in my network that need different things at certain times. And if I, again, if I have this connection with them, like I was on this whole, I was having, I was on this whole kick that I wanted Danny Liu to be a cookie influencer, that someone was just going to pay him to talk about cookies. And I would just go around and drop his name everywhere. Um, Abby Williams is a friend of mine and she's an amazing speaker. She spoke at the SKO, um, for Crunchbase, but I don't think she's well enough known that, you know, that she should be. So it's like, where do I find ways to like throw her name out there? And it's just because I think she's amazing. And I think that, you know, like we don't have a commercial relationship and we're friends, but not, not like, you know what I mean? It's not like yeah. I'm going to childhood best friend. It's just because I think she has so much value to offer and not enough people know about it. And so that is one thing I, I definitely am an evangelist of is like getting people into places that provide opportunities for them. 
And- Wonderful. And that just reminded me that I never, we never even got to the, to the creator thing. We'll have to do that in another conversation. With that, you have a course, you have a podcast, you have a business where you're helping people with all of these themes that we're talking about. Where would you point people who have stuck with us to this point in the conversation? Yeah. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I am there. Uh, I would love for you to go listen to the People Powered Community Podcast, um, which you can find on Spotify. And uh, my website is thechiefevangelist.com. And um, I actually dumped the course, Ethan. I decided it was so much work and um, I needed to focus on things that I thought were going to provide more impact quicker. So, you know, had to change up my go-to-market motions, but it was all good. Yeah, I I love that conversation too, by the way. I think because what it does is it goes to more Leslie time. It's more Leslie with this person, Leslie with this team, Leslie mm-hmm. with the, the with these founders. Um, anyway, there's a lot there. She is Leslie Greenwood, spelled exactly how it sounds. Go connect with her on LinkedIn. She has a lot to share there. It's always insightful, it's always human-centered, and it's organized around or it's themed around all the things we've talked about in this conversation. Leslie, I appreciate you. We need to have another conversation about influencers and other things. Uh, And I am really glad we could have this conversation on this show. Thank you so much for having me. I love it as always. Your energy is amazing and makes me a better guest. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.